Welcome to the Angus Conversation. I'm your host, Miranda Ryman, with a special guest co-host today. Clay Zwillings here with us, president of Angus Media. How are you doing, Clay? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me. It's exciting to be on the Angus Conversation for the first time. So. Absolutely. So Clay has been here at the helm of Angus Media since May. Um, so six months under your belt and your first Angus convention we're recording live from here. So tell me, tell me how the first six months have been. It's been really good. Uh, as, as anyone can imagine, going into a new position, new organization, uh, you know, a steep learning curve, especially with all the products and services that Angus Media provides. But uh, ultimately, knowing that you're part of a great organization in the Angus family and specifically having great people at Angus Media uh, makes it worthwhile and certainly has been a good experience. So, Well, I'm glad to hear you say that it's been a good experience, and I can share that a little bit overwhelming. When I moved over from CAB to the Angus Media side, I had been very familiar with the editorial team, but hadn't done as much on our services we provide to breeders and the number of line items and things that we do. I'm, I'm still learning every time. I'm like, that's really cool. We do that too. That's People ask, you know, so what, what, how would you describe Angus Media? And I, as simple as it sounds, this isn't our tagline, so don't repeat this, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, I say, there's a lot going on. And it's true <laughs> because uh, you think about all the products we offer from our great publications to our digital marketing to catalogs to corporate to everything we've got going on. We've got a lot going on. So. Absolutely. So this episode that we recorded today, um, we're recording live here at Angus Convention. It will not air for a couple of weeks. It'll be a little bit delayed, but um, I want to make sure people know that it is not a commercial for Angus Media Services, but is really intended to give people a little bit of preparation for sale day. Yeah, and I'd also say it's not meant to be uh, do's and don'ts or be prescriptive. It's really some just really good perspective from some professionals in our business uh, that have experienced a lot relative to putting on sales and sale day preparation. And so we were really lucky to have Will Harsh uh, join us from our regional manager team and Rance Long uh, from Rance Long Sale Management uh, to talk with us. And so I thought a great conversation. Absolutely. I did not ask them to add up ahead of time how many sales they go to throughout the year, but they would cover an awful lot of miles and provided us with, with quite a few tips. And another note I want to make is early on, we start about we start out talking about if you're planning for your first sale day, but as you get into the interview, there's really some, some knowledge and wisdom that I think can apply, whether you've, you're working on your first sale or your 31st sale. And I'd agree. And I think we did a really good job of, of having some tactical information, but also, uh, you know, there's a lot of tough questions relative to how you put on a sale and market your cattle. And so we got into the philosophical a little bit too. And so I really enjoyed the conversation and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will as well. So listen in, you're going to hear about timelines, about sale day calculators, and maybe where you can find the best sale day dessert. Welcome to the Angus Conversation. I'm your host, Miranda Ryman, with a special guest co-host today, live from Angus Convention. We have Angus Media President Clay Zwelling, and we have two special guests here going to talk about preparing for sale day. So thanks for joining us today, everybody. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Miranda, it's exciting to be on the first podcast here and to be coming live from the uh, Angus Media booth here in uh, beautiful Orlando, Florida. Absolutely. So we have Rance Long. Oh, I'm tickled to death to be invited to be part of this podcast this morning. So, Rance, you are an uh, Indiana native, but really you'd call Oklahoma home now. Yes, ma'am. I was born and raised in Indiana, third generation Angus breeder, but I've lived in Oklahoma basically since I started school at Oklahoma State. They tend to keep some of you there when you head off to 
okay state you stay. It's a good place to be. Pretty centrally located, and, and we like it. Good. And you're raising a couple of fourth-generation Angus breeders there. Yep. yep. I've got um youngest son lives with us and um, very active showing cattle at the National Junior Show. I'm very involved in FFA, and, and he actually is a fourth-generation Angus breeder. So my wife and I and, and my son, Gage, uh, we operate an Angus uh, program there at home. I also have a few other cows there as well, and then manage sales uh, throughout the year coast to coast. All right. And been a couple of decades managing sales across the country. So that is why you will be an excellent um, addition to this podcast as, as you've got a lot of experience seeing a lot of different operations. Then across from me here, I have Will Harsh, regional manager for the American Angus Association. Will's actually out in my region now. We're practically neighbors, Will. And we haven't even seen each other yet. Not even, yeah, we haven't ran into each other at the local Walmart or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a privilege to be on and I appreciate you guys inviting me. And uh, it's just a, a joy to get to work for the Angus membership every day. And I was fortunate enough to start, you know, four years ago in, a, in the Southeast region and just recently relocated to uh, Nebraska and Colorado. And, and uh, now we're here in sunny Florida, so. And of course, Will grew up in the Angus business. Several of you guys might remember his name from the National Junior Angus Association. And we like to keep those good Angus kids and see a success story when they're now out, out in their career serving the breed. Yeah. And uh, Miranda's the only one here that's kind of outnumbered because you've got three Oklahoma State grads sitting with you. So <laughs> we're, uh, we're kind of Go folks. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> the, the Go Jacks doesn't have the same ring to it here in this crowd. Is that right? <laughs> Well, let's just start off by starting basically at the beginning when you're thinking about sale day prep. Like, where do you start? How far in advance do you start when you're thinking about? Well, that's a loaded question because there's some people that like to start 30 days ahead of time. And there's some <laughs> people that like to start 12 months ahead of time. But, you know, I'd recommend that um, for a first time sale, you really need to have about six months preparation, kind of getting a plan laid out. And then, of course, once that first sale is over with uh, or in set in motion, basically you've um, kind of got a plan going forward year after year. You kind of know the schedule. But I'd say to get started, having a six-month plan to kind of get an advertising schedule, your sales staff lined up, and so forth, is a pretty good time frame. Will? Yeah, I would agree completely. And, you know, the other side is, you know, I've, I've seen this in, in multiple regions. It's everywhere in the country. But, you know, condition of the cattle is, is probably of the utmost importance. You know, we maybe know from the time of conception that this is one that we really want to sell here in a couple of years. But, you know, I'd say one thing that goes into it more than anything is, is you know, the best thing you can do is have those things fed and ready and, and you know, ready for that sale day because, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you want those things to be as bloomy and as presentable as you possibly can, and you can't do that in a matter of 30 days. No, preparation's key, both in terms of, of how the cattle are presented and the way the advertising and the printed material looks as well in yeah. videos. I mean, you can sometimes sweet talk a designer into rushing something, but you can't rush that cattle condition at no, all. I am. <laughs> you know, one thing that, that your comments made me think about a little bit is, you know, especially for new folks and you might get on the, the Angus calendar and get really overwhelmed with sale dates and how many there are going on. What's wow. kind of your thought process or strategy around actually like, let's identify when we want to have this sale and what's an ideal date. What What's some of those discussions maybe you've had <laughs> in the past? Well, you know, when I first got the invite last week to be part of this, I, I know you didn't want a lot of preparation, but I was thinking about that very same thing, Clay. And the one thing I would say, we're in a people business and we're in a pretty small world. I think the first thing you've got to do when you want to decide, when you decide to have a sale is look at that calendar. The last thing you ever need to do is get on top of another breeder that's in your, not just your state, but in your region. Um, we're all, we're all fishing for the same clientele. 
there's no use in making people have to make a choice on that day and running relationships. We are in a people business and that people goes on both sides of, of your customers and the people that you're working with. So. so is there an advantage in trying to stay off like the really busy sale run and be really different? Or do you want to try and like piggyback on that? You know, if you're new and you're trying to get get into that. Well, I'll let you throw something out there on that and then I'll chime in. I, I, I think that's a good question, but it's kind of a hard question. I think, uh, you know, you know, for some of my new producers here in Nebraska, you know, some of them, they look at April as maybe being too late. Um, and then I have some guys that, you know, it just depends upon their calving dates. It just depends upon how, how quick they can get those things fed and ready to go. And, you know, you know, like we said, you know, the marketing side of things, whether it's taking pictures or, you know, it's clipping cattle, whatever it may be, it all goes into, you know, account what, what works for your family schedule. And, you know, the other side of it is, I mean, you've got to take into consideration, I think, you know, what do your customers want? I mean, are they, when are they turning bulls out? When are they, you know, when are they looking to buy females? And so I think that, you know, all of those things go into, you know, uh, account, but at the same point, I think uh, it just kind of depends upon this, the program and, and certainly the, the area. Cause you know, in my last territory, we sold bulls in the fall because we were all fall calvers. Now I said, you know, there's hardly any bull sales for me in the state of Colorado and Nebraska, so. Sure. I think that's very well stated. Every situation is different. Um, calving season is going to dictate one thing, one aspect of it. But then the other deal is, you know, sometimes I think it's er good to be early in the year. But when you're early in the year, in the spring of the year, selling bulls, you're probably going to be feeding those bulls till closer to turnout time before you get to deliver those bulls. Um, then a lot, some of those early sales want to get their bull sales over with. So their bull sales done before they start calving in the spring. And then I think there's also an advantage, and I tell a lot of people this, I think there's a lot of advantage to having those later spring sales when it's close to grass time. I mean, there's always people that don't see them and check their bulls until late. I know we're talking about bull sales right now, but they check their bulls right before they turn out. They realize they've got a few bad bulls, need to replace them. So I think those late spring bull sales have got some interest as well. And then to go a little further with the female thing, I think the female market in the spring definitely picks up because most people's hay pile is getting getting low as you go into spring so when you got green grass popping up you've got feed access and then quite frankly everybody's attitude changes I and mean, when you got green <laughs> grass and sunshine out there people's attitude changes and then i'm gonna go a step further i think when you get to the late fall of the year i think not to get into i'm not an accountant but when you start getting close to the end of the year I think that's also opens up another opportunity to sell some cattle as well as people start seeing where they are financially and needing to uh, spend some money before the end of the year. Sure. I also wondered if there's a little bit, and of course I'm coming at this from like the hosting a crowd standpoint, but to think about which what your facilities might be good for, you know, you probably aren't going to want to be in the coldest part of winter if you've not got a little bit of a, a place to get out of the wind and some of that stuff too. Yeah, and those challenges with those early spring sales, you know, a lot of people are trying to picture and video uh, when there's a blizzard moving in. I mean, and that becomes challenging. And then not to open up a whole can of worms and then that gets everything late from the catalog preparation, advertising, you don't have pictures. I mean, there's, it's not easy. Sure. Yeah, that makes And sense. there's no clear cut answer. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing I was uh, thinking about while you were talking about the audience and not being on top of sales and all that, and both of you would have a lot of experience with this, but 
I think about going to seed stock sales growing up and how different it is today now with the opportunity to use online bidding and technology and video lots. And so relative to that, I mean, what are kind of your thoughts around around that and how it affects our business today? And if, you know, let's maybe tee it up in this way of a question. If I'm a first time uh, sale person, uh, you know, should I have it? Should I not have it? What's the advantage? Should I have a video sale or not have a video sale? Is that the or question? have online bidding and, and how we utilize that? Well, I think the online bidding, I'll just sum it up. Uh, my wife's a rep for a large uh, internet company. and I, But I'll say this, I think the internet bidding has become a necessary evil, is the way I said it. We like to have people on the bleachers and see people. Yep. Uh, we want them to see the cattle in person. We have gotten to a state in this business where people are comfortable bidding online and there's numerous times I'll be in a town or or in a city and I say a city but in a location and that same town we're doing a sale in there's somebody bidding online and so that's how comfortable people get and nowadays you go in the fall of the year in the Midwest they're bidding on their phone while they're driving a combine mm -hmm. and so it's become a necessary evil. We have to have it, which also goes back to what Will talked about, being prepared for videos and pictures. Video day has become sale day. You've got to be prepared on that day. Yeah, I see. Rance took the took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking the same thing. I, I, I was telling this story to Clay earlier this morning. I said, you know, from my, my previous region in the southeast, when I started down there in 2019, there was you know, a handful of those sales that didn't utilize online bidding at that point. And, you know, you, you hate to sit there and think that the COVID-19 pandemic did anything good for us, but at the same point, it launched us, uh, as, you know, across most parts of the country into realizing that, like he said, it's a necessary thing that we have to have. And uh, to, to his point, I said, you know, this all goes into what we're talking about today is the sale day prep, you know, those videos, they have to be high quality because if you don't get a good video, I mean, you get one chance for that customer to, to, to take a look and, and to really get a good feel about what they're what they're interested in your program. And like I said, you know, or like Rant said, you know, about the fact that it's it's video day is sale day. You've got to have good ones. And on top of that, that means you've got to, you know, you've got to take the necessary requirements of, you know, getting one ready, getting one clipped, cleaned up, you know, and, and doing it right and having the right people there, too. Because, I mean, you know, as as all of us who have been in a picture pen or a video pen, you know real quickly whether you have the right person there with you helping, you know, in that pen and working through those things. Because if you get one rushed and, and you do it the wrong way, I mean, it's going to be the make or break of whether you sell one or not. So. And, you know, take it a step further. Nowadays, of course, as soon as we approve a catalog um, with API, it goes up on the website API immediately. I promise you within 24 hours, people are calling wanting to know where the videos are. I yeah. mean, they're looking at those catalogs exactly. all night long. The next morning, they want to know where the videos are. Right, yeah. And so thinking of that, I mean, you mentioned having the right person and you mentioned clipping them up and things like that, but how much thought are you putting in ahead of video day? Do you already know which animals, I mean, you're going to want to spend some more time with and, you know, what are you thinking about ahead of video day? I think you've got your features, but basically I think you've got to, I think you've got to give all of them the same amount of time. They're all special uh, on video day. That's exactly right. That's a comment that I've actually videoed some cattle before and, and you know, done the entire offering myself. I've, I've done, you know, pictures and things like that. And I always, I always scratch my head at that comment when they said, make sure you get a good one of this one. I said, well, you know, we want to make sure we, we've yeah. got to get a good one for every single one. Uh -huh. That's a great point. Really great point. 
you know, one of the things we've kind of alluded to is, so we've talked about kind of getting the sales scheduled. We've talked about uh, sale day prep. One of the big uh, undertakings, and certainly I think for a lot of sellers and sale managers and RMs and everyone that works in this business is getting those catalogs ready. And so I'm curious, Rance and Will, from your perspectives, what are kind of the tips that you've seen or tricks that are really helpful in that and making sure that's an efficient and smooth process? Well, I'm going to give API a plug here because I would say 95% of all the catalog work I do goes through API, uh, which the ladies at API are, are phenomenal to work with. Um, when you request a quote, um, they give you a mere suggestion of a six-week six week advance, and that is nothing more than a mere suggestion <laughs> because I can promise you I don't abide by that. <laughs> but I will tell you that if you want the, the best high-quality job, do abide by that because I think when you can be on schedule and give them ample time, A, we're more comfortable getting the stuff to them, we're not rushed, but more importantly, they're not rushed. And, and while sale A may be on time, sale B comes in late. Mm -hmm. Before long, sale C even gets later than that, and it pushes everything back, not just on my end, but it pushes things back at API, and then everybody gets rushed. And I'm, it's just it's the way, it's the nature of the beast. Um, that's why preparation is so key to have all of your stuff together. You know, this Pastor to Publish program is a phenomenal deal, um, and I've worked with Gail for over 20 years now doing catalog work, even before she was at API. She has a great job, and all the people that work with her there getting things coordinated. But if you get the stuff to them all in one nice, clean package, I promise you they will get you a product turned around in a nice, clean package back. If you send it to them in pieces, then don't expect it to come back clean because you've got to remember, they're not just working for you. While your catalog may be the most important to you, they're working with basically 100 others each sales season. Yeah. Sure. And one thing, uh, you know, this is just a, a personal, uh, you know, idea that I've always kind of tried to stick to and you know, when I first started with Angus, you know, I was learning AAA login as, as fast as I could. You know, it's baptism by fire when you kind of start <laughs> and you're drinking from a fire hose. But one thing now when I get people to ask me those questions, whether they have a private treaty bull sale, whether, you know, they, they have a live in-person sale, whatever it may be. Um, and I've had these questions about, you know, how do you get started? First thing I tell them, you know, to, to Rance's point is, you know, that having all that information together in one clean package is, is extremely important. And, you know, obviously Pasture to Publish has become a, a really, really great portal for, for people to, to submit that stuff. But one thing I always go and fall back into is, you know, learning how to create those data sets, you know, those data sheets and those uh, custom animal reports on your AAA login. That is probably one thing that, you know, there is so much membership out there that do not realize the, the tools they have at their fingertips to truly be able to, to create, you know, a, a simple, you know, a data sheet with all of their animals information, their their performance information, their EPDs, their percentile rankings. You can even put a, you know, a footnote in those things. And if you're if you're even able to w go through all that work and submit something like that, it just makes life so much easier when it comes time to actually. Print and and uh, jump in there a minute, Will, you know, as simple as just getting those baby calves registered when they hit the ground. <laughs> the biggest thing that we see holding us back sometimes are waiting on a calf pending because we're waiting on an AI certificate to get there or waiting on a breeder to submit the registration. And nowadays, I know we're talking about sale prep and this kind of goes along with it. Um, the genomics are so important anymore, especially on these young calves getting it turned around. 
we need that DNA submitted just as soon as those calves are born. And if you get that calf registered, everybody wants to complain about the turnaround time on the DNA. But unfortunately, if that calf's not registered, when DNA comes back, we're still waiting on it. So have the, have the registration done, get the DNA submitted, because that will continue to speed the process up. And it makes your life a lot easier when you don't have to put a million things on an up, uh, supplement sheet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the other thing is you're asking the whole crew and special services to build these pedigrees because you didn't take the time to register those calves. And may sound immaterial, but when they're having to type a pedigree out versus entering a registration mm -hmm. number, that's just more time they all got to spend yep. there. We actually, part of our Angus media presence here at the Angus Convention, we've got our sale day calculator, which actually was developed by the uh, by the sale books team there, by Gail's team, so that you can plug in your sale date and it'll back up when you need to have those key data points submitted because they will also tell you that that's the, that's the number one thing holding them up. It's not sale managers first. It's it's that uh, yeah, having try, the I mean, I will tell you myself, and like everyone that works in my field, we try to turn the information around as fast as we get it, but we can only turn it around as fast as we get it from the breeder. Sure. Yeah. So that starts, I mean, we're talking more than a, a calendar year ahead of time, really. Like Will said, I mean, you kind of know when those cows are carrying a calf before they're ever born, you kind of got an idea what's going to be in a sale, and you might finalize it two months ahead of time, but you know 95% of them are going to be in the sale well in advance. Yep. So what have you guys seen work well as far as when I think about it, like, yeah, in the back of my head, I know what check marks I need to hit by what point, but like pretty soon you're a month out from sale and it feels like you should still be three. I mean, you know, that's how it works in, in life, right? Like labor, I would say probably has become one of the biggest things. Not, not sorry to cut you off. No, that's but I mean, perfect. That, and that's everywhere I go, whether it's a herd visit or it's a sale, the first thing that is always brought up is help. And, you know, you know, certainly you would think that, you know, you have a, a pretty good idea of, you know, who's going to be there on sale day or who's going to be there to kind of accomplish certain duties. But labor is the, is the number one thing that, you know, I think that people overlook sometimes when it comes time to, to do it. And then, you know, here we are, we're waiting on cattle to get in the rain. We're waiting on something. And, and, you know, it's every second that we're delaying something, you know, uh, those, those are dollars kind of leaving the, the sales. So. And I think that to that point, I, I honestly, the last 10 years, I think there's only one new breeder that I'm working with that has not gone to a video only sale. Um, more and more all these sales have gone even the ones traditional that swore they would never ever not put them in a sale ring they've realized having eight to ten people out back trying to get the cattle into a sale ring mm -hmm. those people just aren't there anymore and even when they were there you know there'd be an issue something disposition wise out back or something like that we've all gone to a video and honestly i think that our customers who said they would never buy that way they're sitting right there tickled to death to look at them on a TV screen and, and buy the, even the cattle are pinned right beside the barn. They're comfortable to sit right there and bid on those cattle, which to back up means that video day, even more importantly, becomes sale day. Be sure. well prepared. Let's talk about tools. Take these pliers. They're not revolutionary technology. Even if I added sound effects and said, pliers, the future of tool technology you'd still just see them as something you use every day. Now let's talk about a tool that you might think is futuristic, but isn't. Genetic testing for commercial cattle. Use it to help reach your goals faster and with more confidence. 
Genetic testing is just a tool. Use it to build a better herd. Get started with Zoetis at beefgenetics.com. So you've seen a lot of successful sales, and we've talked about the idea that that video has become a big, important part of online bidding. But how do you actually get people in the seats on sale day? How much of that is the cattle? How much of that is the hype that, you know, this one goes to, uh, you know, my personal opinion is I'm a huge proponent of, you know, the old guard likes things in their hands. You know, we always sit there and we talk about sale books, you know, it's I, I use this sometimes as leverage trying to, you know, help people, you know, get their sale book, you know, in the right places. Obviously, being on the Angus website sale books page is one of the most useful things because of the traffic we get there. But I still am a firm believer, you know, out in bull country and out those commercial buyers and, and you know, some of just the older, you know, the older cattlemen, they like to have a mailing piece in their hand. And that's when I go to, you know, uh, Rance was kind of talking earlier about, you know, how we've got a great team at the office that, you know, is, is able to turn around a, a, either a postcard quote or a sale book quote, whatever it may be. But that mailing list right there that we have and being able to, to fine tune, you know, those people out there that are going to get those those pieces in their hands. I said, I think that's that's one of the best ways to try to make sure your local community come and support you and how you get, you know, people in the seats. I really think that's important. Sure. I kind of want to underline that mailing list part, Will, because I think sometimes that's a a lesser known fact or that if you do go through Angus Media, you get access to our audience. Yep. It's actually the membership list and you can do that in a radius around your operation. And if you're wanting to cut costs, maybe you wanna send a postcard out to a, a bigger group and then that sale book tighten down the radius, but there is the opportunity to I'd like to, to jump in there just, for, that. just yeah. for a minute. To Will's point about the, the different services that special services offers, um, getting those uh, postcards or a brochure out sometimes god bless our government but those postcards <laughs> and the brochures they seem to kind of flow through the post offices a little bit easier than these catalogs i think you need to make sure that your customer base are get, receiving your catalog but if you want that wide range shotgun approach don't think your catalog is going to get to everybody because i promise you it will not make it to every post office box that's the biggest complaint I hear year round. And, if, and honestly, the first person a breeder calls is myself. And then they call the regional manager or they call API direct and they want to say it's our faults. However, it's Uncle Sam. <laughs> goes back to what we said about how timing is key. I mean, we've got to have those books in, you know, well in advance because, you know, before it was just, you know, simple things of, you know, anything could get in the way of those sale books not showing up. Now we're trying to fight the mailing system. So you've got to, it just goes to Rance's point. We've got to have stuff turned in quick. So that way people get that plenty of time. Cause I'll, like he said, I've had those phone calls before I said, I got my sale book a week later. <laughs> I'm sure you feel a lot of phone calls like that, don't you? Uh, just a few, just a few. <laughs> I, I guess that also brings up in my head the reason that, like, you also need to be doing some additional things, probably some digital advertising, and to remind customers they haven't gotten your sale book in case it hasn't arrived. You know, it, it, if you have a multi-layered approach, they're going to see you. But I think you have to have it. I think this digital, electronic, social media advertising avenue is great. Uh, it can be fairly inexpensive relative to some other things. However, I do think that print advertising still has its place in this business to will's point about the the own guard there's a customer base out there that wants to see something in their hand they you know 
not everybody has time to get in at night and sit in their chair and watch television, read a magazine, but there's a lot of those people that do, and they want to, they want to grab a magazine, flip through there, and they want to see your bull sale ad or your female sale ad. So I think there's got to be a balance. It can't just be all one-sided. I would totally agree. And I think that's, that's the approach I've, you know, not to be prescriptive here, but just recommended is that you have to have a total approach to your marketing. You can't just say, I think I need to do digital. I think I need to do print. It's really got to be a balance. And to me, it's that going back to your original question, Miranda, which is how we get people in the seats. Well, you get people in the seats one, because your cattle are good two because you have and develop good relationships. But how you do that is you reach the broadest, most targeted audience you can. And so there's a lot of different approaches to that. But I think your points well taken your answers. I don't think you can just say it's print, it's digital, it's this. I think you have to look at who you're really trying to target and build a truly balanced approach to make it successful. And then I'm going to throw this out there too. I mean, we're talking about sale preparation, but the other thing is once we set on a date, you know, we kind of skipped over, you've got to kind of decide on who you want to have there for an auctioneer. And then you also need to talk about ringmen. Well, a lot of that ring staff, sales staff, you're gonna get an art regional manager to come when you do enough advertising with Angus Media. But then you also got plenty of other publications gonna supply a ringman to your sale too. So you've gotta kind of get that budget balance figured out as well. Sure. And schedule too, as we exactly. go back to scheduling, yeah. when everybody's having their sales at the same time and there's 15 sales in the same day, you want to make sure they're available. Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of giving Angus Media a plug here, but honestly, there's also within different, Will's region's got several publications out there mm -hmm. that are very regionalized, but those producers in his region and other regions, they like to see your ad, not just in a national publication, they want to see it in a local publication as well. So don't mm -hmm. overlook uh, look that, and especially you want those ringmen and your sales staff, you want them working for you. So you've got to develop a relationship with your entire sales staff. That's exactly right. And I, and I couldn't agree more. I said, you know, I travel with an army of the same guys, you know, most days out of the week when, you know, well, we that you go season. eat lunch for free every day. In the month of March. <laughs> yes. Um, we get a lot of brisket sandwiches, but, uh, but at the same point, like I said, you know, we travel with an army of the same guys most days. And, and this all kind of goes into what we were saying earlier about, you know, talking about sale dates and, and, you know, this being a people business, you know, not only am I traveling with a lot of those same ringmen every day, you know, you're spreading your cost out amongst, you know, as many publications as you possibly can. You want them to be working for you, like Grant said, but at the same point, you know, there's a lot of us that, you know, we don't go to every single one the same day. And, you know, we've got to check in uh, those guys when they're planning those sale dates. You've got to check in with your, your, with your field staff, the ringmen, those publications, get on the Angus website because that's the thing. You never know when, you know, you might, you might kind of cut yourself at the knees when you realize that half your sales staff can't be there because they're maybe down the road at your neighbor's sale that day that you put yours on. So it, it feels a little bit like planning a wedding. You know, I had to check if the VFW was available, if the preacher was available, and then double check that no other friends were having weddings that same day. It's so, all the same. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so we've talked a lot about this preparation ahead of time, but now, like, let's say we're fast forwarded. It's like week of the sale or maybe even day before the sale. How do you manage all the things that you can't do until... You keep the sharp objects out of your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe there's a story to that one. 
It's stressful. It's stressful on everybody involved. And for the producers, a lot of those producers, it's their biggest payday of the year, and some their only payday of the year. So obviously it's going to be stressful, I think, for all of us that work with those breeders and producers. Uh, we've got to keep, the, keep that in mind and try to, I don't want to say console them, but guide them, keep them calm, keep them patient, and realize they've still got to be able to visit with their customers. They got to remain calm, and they don't need to be. Um, they need to be prepared so not fretting about the little details the day before the sale. Yeah, it probably goes back to that timing thing a little bit, right? <laughs> and another point, you know, that I'll make that I'm sure that Rance has probably has felt this himself before, but you know, anyone that's ever been at a consignment sale, I think this is a you know very relevant. You know, I, I've worked in a lot of consignment sales in my previous territory, and you know. No, not every producer is the same, you know, in terms of their marketing strategies and things like that, you know. Uh, but whether it's someone that's in a that's got a consignment sale or a production sale, you've got to be making phone calls. I can't tell you how many sales I've gone to before, and I've gotten those phone calls, or I've got those those members come up to me and they say, "Well, did you get my animal sold?" And I said, "I'm I'm trying to get everyone's animal sold for you." You know, at the end of the day, we're trying to get as many eyes on these, you know, on these uh, lots as we can, but. A lot of people don't realize, you know, sometimes you can't just bring an animal and just dump it out and say, you know, I hope she sells and I'll come back and, you know, pick up my check. And you've got to put in that legwork. It's and a team work. effort, Will. Yes. I mean, it's a, it takes everybody involved in that sale from the regional manager, sale manager, the auctioneer, the ring staff, and all the breeders working. It's a team effort. And for those of you, to your point, that just want to drop the animal off at a consignment sale, sell them the bleachers, eat the free lunch, and think somebody's just going to buy it for any extra value, you're sadly mistaken. Sure. Yep. Exactly right. Well, the one thing I was going to say, too, and both of you have experience with this, is obviously every sale is different. And, and, and Rance, you do a lot of different sales, whether it's a, a show heifer prospect sale, a traditional bull sale, consignment sales. But the one thing I think is important to keep in mind that you brought up is that that day is the most important day to that group of people, regardless of who you are. And I think from a perspective of buyers and sellers and people that work for our Angus members, it's critical that every one of those sales and that sale day is the most important. And, you know, to your point of, uh, you know, the managing the stress, I mean, how many sales have you all done? I guarantee you when you're sitting up there on the block getting ready to start the sale, you've still got that knot in your stomach because you're nervous because you want to make sure that that day is the best day for our clients and customers. To that, Clay, I, I, the one thing we've touched on this a little bit is we are 100% in a people business, 100%. Uh, the breeders have to have chemistry with everybody involved, from the sale manager, auctioneer, sales staff, all their labor. It takes chemistry to keep everybody working for the same cause. And so that stress level that day, I can tell you for myself, every program I work with, I have a relationship with them that I develop. I've developed, in some cases, over 20 years, I work with the same people. You become close, close friends with these people. So you take it, you take that stress level, you share it with them basically to make sure it's, make sure it's as good as possible. You've mentioned a couple of times the gals back in the office, too, and I would say from being around my team there, it's it's the same thing. They're checking. They're waiting to see how quick Will can get his, his uh, report turned in so they see how they did on that sale day. And they're, you know, if they've worked on your catalog or if they've worked on your it's digital advertising, they're worried yeah. about it for you, too. Or not worried, I shouldn't say. They want to, to see that it's been successful, that the efforts have been successful. So that's cool. So one thing that we haven't talked about as it relates to sale day, g give me a little bit of like philosophy of sale day, either 
how you're presenting those animals, what the sale order is, maybe even time of day of sale. And, if you had to sell a bullet, then I'd be really curious to hear it. Yeah, yeah there's no, there's no <laughs> clear-cut answer at all. Um, you know, to, to the timing, uh, there are some people that want to start at noon. Some people prefer 1 o'clock. We'll do some weekday sales that are starting in the evening. Uh, especially if you get further back to the east, Midwest and east, starting the evening, give them time to get off work and come to a sale. Every situation is different. You've got to do what works for the breeder in that in that particular area. As far as, um, and I'll let Will jump in here in a second on this too, but as far as uh, sale day prep, I think you've got to figure out your pinning, pinning situation, uh, how you want to pin and display the animals, be it cows or, or females or bulls, uh, then the sale order, and there's multiple there's no clear-cut answer there. Uh, we do some where we sell them in catalog order, and your highest selling animal may be 50th in the sale or 100th in the sale, depending on the size of it. Uh, we'll make a sale order. Um, I can give you pros and cons about both directions. I couldn't agree more. You know, this uh, that sale order thing, that was one that I would touch on myself because that's a question I get quite frequently is, is should we just sell them, you know, cover to cover? And, uh, you know, should we just eliminate the headache and, you know, you know, maybe depending upon their labor, you know, back behind the sale ring on, on being able to actually get those things in a different order and get them through the ring in the right order. Um, then you got to have labor that can count one, two, three. Right. That's all the time either. That's exactly right. But, uh, you know, I, I answer that sale order question, you know, differently probably every time I get asked is because I said, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still a firm believer that, you know, the, those producers sitting in those seats, they're going to find the good ones no matter what, whether he's buried. I agree completely. See, I, I, think, I think they'll find the good ones no matter what, but at the same point, you know, the, the sale order, I, I just always, I, I call it a head game because it is. It's, mm -hmm. it's some, nothing more than just, you know, you've got your own personal opinion, your own philosophy, your own technique on what you think is going to work and, you know, add as much value, but at the end of the day, they're still going to find the good ones. And, and, you know, along those lines, you pretty much want to put a catalog together we build that catalog with some flow anyway, uh, be it by sire group or by fall pairs and spring bred heifers, whatever. They're pretty much gonna be grouped together that way or by cow family. So you've got that option of going in catalog order and having a flow or building your own, so. Sure. I always kind of wonder if it's, uh, if it's more a preference of like, that breeder wants to have a little bit of momentum going into the sale or, and sometimes I wonder, too, if that's a little bit of a scary thing. Like if you have put the animal that you think is going to bring the most and you put it first in the temperature that the audience maybe doesn't agree with that, then is that going to like knock the wind out of your sails? I, you know, I think that goes back to the whole point of being prepared, knowing who you're talking to and having your team on your side, because the last thing you want to do is when you get ready to start selling your auction, wonder well, how's this going to go? You should have at least some strategy, a pretty good idea. And I think, again, we all agree that sale order is not a perfect system. You've got, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But knowing the way you are going to do it and being convicted in that and knowing that's how it's going to be and have done your research and know who's sitting there, hopefully you've got a pretty good idea of how that's going to go. Absolutely. That's great. Have you seen anybody um, that has done a I don't want to say like a rebrand of their sale, but like kind of really shook up the way that maybe they had always done their sale, but like made some kind of a big change that's turned out well for them or got examples of people that have maybe bucked the trend or the norm. The only really changes I would say I've seen is maybe if you're selling bulls and females in the same sale, there may be a debate on which sex should sell first. Mm -hmm. uh, again, to what Clay said a moment ago, you kind of need to know 
what your target audience is. You have more bull buyers sitting there, more female buyers sitting there, uh, that thing. I've seen some people with multiple breeds actually separate the breeds out uh, to a different time or a different day even to um, put some space between them for, for several different reasons. Sure. And I can't tell you that one works better than the other. To answer your question, I think, um, you know, one thing that I've seen, I've seen a little bit of, you know, I've seen producers have different mentalities before of whether they're having a female sale on, you know, that depends upon what day they want to sell one. Um, you know, the average guy in my territory, you know, they're not, they're not deterred by a weekday sale if they're selling bulls or female sometimes. But I mean, you know, in my, in my previous region, it was, it was a Saturday. You, you only sold cattle on Saturday. And when and, Nebraska got a football team, nobody wanted to have a sale in Nebraska <laughs> except for the imports. That's right. That's right. But uh, but no, I've I've seen some people. You know, we've we've gone to uh, you know, like like we mentioned earlier, um, we've seen some people. You know, go from running them through the rain. We've seen some people to, to switching that to video only. You know, we've seen people even go to night sales. And I mean, you know, I know of a couple that you know, Rance does you know some evening sales for some show heifer deals, and and those seem to work out better. You know, so I mean, I've seen people switch those things up off and on. I think you, I think it's just kind of a trial and error thing. You learn what works for your for your customers and your you know your offering more than anything as as you do it. And then I think the big change is, and we'll just mention it is, all these breeders that traditionally have always had a sale ring set up, and they were always going to bring the cattle in the sale ring. The biggest change I've seen is that transition to videos with the cattle pen beside the, their sale barn or beside their machine shop or whatever it would be. And I have to laugh at this a little bit. Always the first year, we hang the TVs on the sale ring because nobody's comfortable taking a torch and cutting their sale ring out. Mm -hmm. So they hang the TVs on. Usually by year two and by three, for sure, they've taken the sale ring out, they've decorated out in front, they got the TV sitting on tables or bales of straw, and, and the real, that's the biggest change I've seen, I believe. Uh, like I said earlier, people were adamant they were never ever gonna go to a video-only sale. Once they make that change, they can't believe they waited that long. I, and I think to Rance's point, it's really it's really about being an event and and being a place where people can gather and and do business, right? That's why we're there. But I, you know, separating yourself and whether it's you know changing how your sale facility looks from one year to the next, or maybe it's looking at, hey, we're going to have our production sale, but Friday night we might do a social and sell some embryo lots, and just how they can package and do things to make it more of an event where people can gather and make sure their customers feel like they're part of their program. I think that's part of the shift too, really. It's been, to your whole point of this this podcast, Rance, it's a people-driven business. And so changing how we do business from purely transactional to customer experience, I think has been a huge shift in our business. And you know, Clay, we're working in a family business. I mean, the people we sell to, the people we work with every day, uh, they're all family. They all have families at home. And so like Will said a moment ago, people may be transitioning or, or in his territory, a lot of weekday sales. Honestly, I'm seeing more and more of a trend throughout the country, even into the eastern part of the country, people going to some weekday sales because we got football games, we got basketball games, we got family events, wives want to take their family somewhere on a Saturday. We used to all want to be on a Saturday, but I can give you a hundred reasons why there's going to be a conflict on a Saturday now too. So we've got to look at all those options. So one thing I recommend, I suggest to everybody is they kind of stay off a few of those um, Wednesday evening sales are usually a little challenge. People go to some churches on Sunday. Sunday sales, 
not to get get into that one way or the other we do a lot of sunday sales we always do them later in the day give people ample time to go to church we don't ever want them to feel any pressure to make a decision there uh, and there's some readers are adamant to stay off of sunday we totally respect that uh, but we're a family business we gotta keep that in mind we're dealing with families when you mentioned the family business i thought maybe you were going to go a different way with that and that i've also seen a lot of people that have tried to make it more of a family event they might have some kids activities or a reason that that they you want to bring your kids along or have you know gifts for the the wives too and and think about it as more of a yeah bring bring everybody yep. we want to see all of you so. absolutely yeah. you've got to create a, a welcoming environment like clay and rance have said you know this is this is a family deal um you know you've got customers that do bring their youngins with them you've got you, you want to create a a very welcoming opening environment to your customer base to where they feel comfortable coming there and they feel you know confident in spending money on your product but uh you know this is kind of a just a joke here but you know honestly one thing i will say and i've seen this once or twice in, in the few travels i said have someone welcoming at your uh, at your check-in i say because <laughs> the last thing you want to do is have a grump sitting there taking your and, and your customers know that yeah i mean it's exactly. not a joke that people they know that yeah. Yep. Have someone that's got a smile on their face that can actually talk to the customer base and, and give them a, a buyer number and make them actually feel good that I came to this to this sale today to buy something and <laughs> don't want to go back home. Yeah. And you know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna give the RMs a plug here too. I think um, having when you can have your RM at your sale is an advantage because these RMs are well respected by commercial producers, purebred producers, they these breeders always have, the breeders that are attending the sale always have questions of what's going on at Angus, whether it's how to read EPDs or genomic, whatever, and they feel comfortable visiting with their RM. So I think, to your point, you want a welcoming staff there, but anytime you can make sure you got a sale date where your regional manager can be there, it's an asset. Sure. I appreciate that a lot. And, you know, it's like I said from the very beginning, thank you, Rance, but, um, you know, it's it's all of us on this team, all 13 of us uh, out here serving this membership, I said, it's, we would all agree it's the best job that you can have. And, and you know, we, uh, we want to help be, you know, a part of your success as much as we can. And so thank you, Rance. Yeah. Well, the one place I was going to go next, which is probably a big 30,000 foot view is we've talked a lot about kind of where we're at today and some of those things and some of the transitions. I'd be curious to get y'all's opinion on uh, where we're going what do you see the future of some of this sale day management and prep and and we've alluded to a few of those things but just you especially rance and will with your backgrounds where do you see some of this going and where where do you see the future of uh purebred sales going that is a loaded question i don't and, and there is no there's no clear-cut answer I, I honestly i don't even know how to answer that question i can tell you over the last two decades some things have not changed the way we put catalogs together maybe the building process has changed a little bit we can speed things up but other than that we still build a catalog we now put it online i don't know how that's going to change we're always going to have it online we're still going to print a catalog and give it to people to look at on sale day i don't know that things really change that much other than just how we get the information to api the crew that's going to be building the catalog I see that maybe changing just the way we get the information to them, but that's. In terms of, you know, watching some sales, you know, their format change, you know, one thing that I've been really in, you know, it's, it just kind of depends upon sales management and, you know, it just, it depends upon your breeding objectives and, you know, maybe your, your marketing philosophies. But one thing I've been interested is, you know, watching just how many online only sales we've had lately. That has been, you know, it, 
really since, I don't know if it's been since the pandemic necessarily. I mean, there was a lot of them before that, but we have watched that absolutely just evolve completely to where, you know, these guys, I've had those questions before of someone come up and say, am I ready for a sale? I've been selling 30 head of private treaty bulls or, you know, I, I, I open, uh, you know, I open up my farm doors for people to come in and, you know, kind of pick through our female offering. Um, Am I ready for, you know, a full fledged sale? And so I always kind of step next into, I said, well, maybe we need to try this online route first. You know, if you don't have the the quantity to have a full-fledged in-person sale, I said, you know, maybe we kind of dip our toes into the online world. And we've started to see a lot more people go that route, which I thought was very interesting. It is. But along those lines, I think my personal opinion is we may be starting to overdo that a little bit and make people think just because they're doing the sale, be it online or even a real live sale, don't think just because you've got a date on the calendar, they're just going to show up, be it in person or online. So if you're going to do that online sale, you still have to work at it. Don't think that basically don't think if you build it, they're going to come because that doesn't work. And I, I think uh, to counter my question, the one thing that isn't going to change is you still have to have good cattle that have value. Absolutely. And that's that's going to be the one consistent piece. It doesn't matter uh, how much you promote what you do. You've still got to have a quality product and, and provide the experience for people to have a positive experience. Absolutely. I also think sometimes we, we think that the younger generation is going to change the way you know, like, oh, maybe we won't print so many sale books or maybe maybe we'll do more online. Um, and I don't know if that's always true either. Do you see that it's just the young, I mean, I don't think it's a younger generation thing. I always joke because I say I'm the exception to the rule, but I'm the one person that's kept every breed publication since I got them from when I was eight years old. And so if you don't believe that, you can ask my wife when I was carrying yeah, up mine the as well. <laughs> yeah. carrying up the stairs when we moved uh, four months ago yeah. uh, with the seven totes of publications. And I'm still one of those people that I'll look at the catalog online, I'll watch the videos, but when it's coming up to sale day, uh, I definitely want one in my hands. And I would also say, uh, you know, even leading up to it, I still want to, I still want to get something in the mail that Same. drives me to hold that catalog. So I, I think to your point, Miranda, I think it's easy to label, well, all these young generational people are just going to want digital. And I certainly think people want to consume information digitally, but to say that catalogs will go away, I think is a pretty big stretch. And this is a whole different topic and not for this this podcast, but I think we've got to make this an environment that that next generation, that younger generation wants to come back to. And if we're not careful, we're driving that younger generation to pursue other options. And so, again, that's a whole different topic, but we got to want that generation to be part of this. And I think we got to keep get them engaged, maybe in, even in the preparation. I work, with, I work with some breeders now that I'm now working with their sons and daughters. The second, and, and I think that's important, and that means a lot. The last thing you want to do is keep working with the same adult for 20 years because their kids have gone on to something else and we've lost them. Sure. Yeah, that's a great point about getting them involved, too. Sometimes there's a little bit of a knowledge gap there if something unexpected occurs or if, you know. the And, the... and then along those lines, that younger generation, Clay touched on this a second ago, they think of things and they look at things different than we do. So they maybe want to go overboard on the digital, social media kind of marketing, whereas I think it's our responsibility, be it Will and, and all the RMs, uh, myself to kind of maybe try to ground those younger people a little bit back to the basics too. We got to find that balance with them. 
Sure. That's exactly right. And that's a hard question I've had before. You know, you've had some of those those producers come to you before and they've had, you know, just stars in their eyes with these big budgets of whether it's a digital thing. And the last thing that, you know, the last thing a regional manager or anyone that sells any kind of business wants to do is tell someone, no, you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, you know, you've got to We've got to have their best interest in mind because as we've touched on, this is their family day. You know, this is maybe their one check that they get a year. And, you know, I've watched a lot of those as we talked earlier, you know, about some of these online only sales, the emergence of that, you know, we're seeing fewer and fewer of them, you know, do print. We're seeing fewer and fewer of them do something because they're so heavily relying on that digital. And, you know, that's great and everything, but at the same point, you know, uh, you know, as Ranson alluded to him and, and my job and, you know, all of our jobs out there to try to help, you know, rein that in as much as we can and say, you know, here's how you can best effectively spend your dollars and get the most bang for your buck. Um, you know, you shouldn't limit yourself to just maybe one single digital advertisement or, you know, just put all that money and all your eggs in one basket, essentially. For sure. So we've talked a lot about preparation. We've talked about day of. We've talked about the future. Is there anything that I haven't asked you guys about before I bring the random question of the day? I've been waiting on that random question. <laughs> you know, the one thing I'd say before your random question, uh, Miranda, is just, again, I think that we all understand and empathize with the fact that sale day is not an easy day. It's, it's a critical day for our people's business, for their families, as we've alluded to a lot. And the one thing that we can always do to make it smoother is is just try to be prepared and have some forethought. And that's the one thing that I think, uh, regardless of whether you're working at the Angus Association, you're in sale management, or you're actually selling these cattle, uh, just continue to think about being proactive and having some strategy. And that's easy to say, you know, when you're sitting here doing a podcast, but when you're in the heat of battle and it's calving season, you've got everything going on in your operation, you know, it, that's why we try to provide those tools that we've talked about with having resources, having resources like sale management, having things like the sale day calculator to help you be proactive and think through those things so you can have the most successful event possible. For sure. All right, random question. What's the best dessert you've ever had at a sale? Oh, I can answer that. <laughs> I, I, I just moved from the southeast, so like I said, you know, I was home to some of the best cooking that there was, especially at a sale. I'd say bread pudding by bar none. Bread Too pudding favorite. from the southeast, it's hard to beat. You can't <laughs> find as much of that in my new territory. Yeah. Did you hear that, Nebraska breeders? One of you could, like, that's the way to Will's heart. <laughs> Well, I said I wouldn't mention names. I am going to mention this one because he's a good friend of mine, and um, actually, he now lives down here in Florida. But when Bill, Bill and Betty Warner had Warner Angus in Illinois, Betty Warner was one of the best cooks in the world. She had a dessert that was kind of a pudding with crumbled up Heath bars on top of it. And I can tell you, I would leave there with a few extras when I left every time. <laughs> she made a pan just for you to take was, home? Absolutely, she has before, yes. <laughs> I love that. Are you gonna answer, Clay? No, that'd be uh, that'd be yeah. too controversial for me. So I'll, <laughs> I'll let her two guests answer that. <laughs> well, I'm a sucker for pie. So I will, I will say that I'm always on the search for the best piece of, I mean, really any kind of pie, but. Very good. Well, thank you guys for being on today and, and taking some time to share your expertise. And I'll kind of remind people that if they do have questions, they can always reach out to their RM, to their sale manager, to any of us at Angus Media. We're happy to help. This is awesome. Thanks for inviting me to be we part of it. We pretty much solved the world's problems, I think. I think Check so. Take care. Thanks for listening today. For more coverage from Angus Convention, pick up your January issue of the Angus Journal. 
And to make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast platform. And as always, for access to news and information and all the latest in the Angus breed, visit angusjournal.net. This has been the Angus Conversation, an Angus Journal podcast.